Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and happy Friday. I'm Tracy V. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. Uh, We talked about Aleister Crowley this week. Um, (laughs) We sure did. uh, Yeah, so um, I'm glad that for once, the name Aleister Crowley crossed my path immediately before October. Um, since previously, I I just never managed to like write him on the little October section of my podcast shortlist. Um, and then I checked with you to make sure that 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 was not going to be I was not going to be stealing a topic that you already were, had your heart set on doing because I know sometimes each of us do. And then as I was researching it, number one. My knowledge of him was really minimal and mostly based on things people were scared of in the 80s. <laughs> right. <laughs> Not like anything that he actually did. Um, and, you know, I have more familiarity with some of the things that uh, that he influenced later. Like, I know several people who practice Wicca, like, that, and that that is something that, like, he had an influence on, but I just did not know a bunch uh, about a lot of his other work. And as I was reading about the OTO, I was like, why does this sound so familiar? And then I remembered the podcast, Oh No, Ross and Carrie, in which Ross and Carrie investigate various paranormal stuff. And they did an episode, uh, two episodes actually, about the OTO. The first one I think came out in 2013, and I'm not sure how much later the second one came out. And I took the opportunity to re-listen to those while working on this. And if you would like to hear more um, about what it's like to, you know, participate in the Gnostic Mass that the OTO does, um, that is a podcast to listen to. I don't remember off the top of my head whether uh, whether that show has an explicit tag or not. Uh, if you have small, I would actually just say it's probably not a children's show. That was how my mom described a lot of these things that she wanted to protect me from. That's not a children's show. I would say the OTO episode of Ono, Ross, and Carrie, not a children's show. Our episode on Aleister Crowley, also probably not a children's show. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I was like, oh, that that explains it. That explains why all of these various rituals sound so familiar to me. I heard Ross and Carrie talk about them. <laughs> you have heard them described. Yeah. I had mentioned, because he has been on my list, and I honestly, when you were like, are you dead set on doing him? And I was like, oh, thank Greedo, you go do it. Because there's so, it's so convoluted and complex, and I have read enough about him that I was like, I'm never going to sort this back out. And I, I just remember telling you, the Battle of Blythe Road is the funniest thing you'll ever read. And you were like, I haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> yeah, when you and I were talking about it, I was like, oh, this sounds great for October. And then I was like, okay, let's let's do a little reading. I could feel that the expression on my face was one of absolute bafflement um, the, the whole time I was reading stuff. And I kept being like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to sort this out, but I also can't look away from it. So uh, after spending basically an entire day with my eyes kind of wide looking at the various things that I was reading about, uh, the the Battle of Blythe Road and all kinds of different uh, rituals that he was doing and some of the some of his writing is frankly incomprehensible. I was like, I'm just gonna have to. The only way out is through. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. house is going to go. So yeah, it's a, it's a lot in a tangle. And every time I, I mean, I said in the episode, every time I thought I had found the strangest thing, I would find a different thing. <laughs> I found out about him faking his own death or trying to fake his own death um, like the morning that I finished this outline. And I was like, here's yet another thing. Um, you know, if the, I'm definitely a spy during World War One, that was weird. Faking his own death was weird. Um, there's all kinds of stuff that we just, there's, he did so much stuff. There's all kinds of stuff that we just didn't really even mention at all. We, I, I had been wondering, cause you mentioned his mountaineering expedition that went awry and that he ended up canceling. I have seen some write-ups of that, but haven't followed them down the hole that kind of just suggests that it was either his fault or that he abandoned a bunch of people, but basically he does not come out looking good in all of it. Right. Was that your understanding? Yeah. So um, there was a a climber and four porters who were killed in an avalanche. I was not able to find, like, just a really thorough exploration of all that in the time that I had available. I did find one account that said that he was able to hear them calling for help and didn't do anything about it. But one of the things about mountaineering at that level is that it's inherently dangerous um, and sometimes when somebody gets into trouble, if you try to go help them, you are also going to be in trouble. And so it was like, I didn't feel like I could sort through that enough to know whether he was just really callous and irresponsible or whether it was the kind of thing where it was like, well, if we try to go get them, we're also going to die. And I don't I don't 100% know the answer with that. Yeah. 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 Um... <laughs> I have thoughts and feelings about Alistair Crowley. Um, they, on on Ono, Ross, and Carrie, they have pretty uh, definite feelings about him also. Is it that rich kids need stuff to do or this is what their life turns into? <laughs> kind of. Um, <laughs> uh, their read on him in a lot of ways is just being like, just intentionally obscure and kind of laughing at future generations. Like, I'm just going to write the most ridiculous nonsense and somebody later is going to have, they're going to spend their lives trying to figure out what I meant by this. Because he used a lot of codes and things when, when he was writing. And sometimes if you try to read it, you're like, this is not even sentences. I have no idea what this is going to try to be about. I also, frankly, remember being between the ages of 18 and 25 and believing in all kinds of weird stuff that I don't believe in now that I have more experience and maturity under my belt and so, even though I never went nearly to any kind of the extent that Aleister Crowley did in any of his mass, uh, like, mystical stuff, uh, I can see how a bunch of educated young men with access to purportedly mystical documents would believe that they definitely had for real magical powers that could sick a vampire on somebody. Oh, yeah. I mean, the whole thing is really, like, uh, to me, very much vibes. Like, people who have only ever had validation in their life, presuming <laughs> that, that the things that they believe themselves to be able to do must actually be real because they have never known anything else. Well, and it's also really clear that a whole lot of what he did specifically drew from while simultaneously rejecting 
his fundamentalist Christian upbringing. Right. Um, Like, a lot of the symbolism he used was directly from the Book of Revelation. A lot of the things that he was talking about were connected to a lot of the things that are in the Book of Revelation, which, having spent an entire year of Sunday school learning the Book of Revelation, it's a weird book. (laughs) So, uh, So, like, there's so much of it that, like, it has this whole context of, uh, him rejecting his own religious upbringing, also rejecting a lot of the more conservative mores that existed at the time, um, all that kind of stuff. So it's it's a whole big tangle. I also, I mean, again, I sound very dismissive, and I kind of am, but um, I find his story utterly just engaging at every level, but I don't hold a lot of stock in any of his claims. Um, that whole thing with his allegedly being a spy and then facing no repercussions. Yeah. My read is always like, not because he was a spy, but because money makes problems go away. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's the most, or the least magnanimous read I can have on it, but. Yeah. Yeah. There is a whole book on that, and the whole book on that was like, there's, there's finite time that we have to spend on our episodes because we are doing a new episode of the podcast every week. (laughs) So, uh, reading the entire book that was written about um, whether he was or was not a spy and exploring all that, like, that was really beyond my ability, which is why instead I read some papers by the author of that. That seems like a valid plan to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. (laughs) Um... There's also part of me that lives in such a state of envy. Mm-hmm. I'm like, imagine thinking you, just thinking yourself that important all the time. Yeah. Oh, that must be an amazing headspace to travel in. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's a good place to wrap this up. <laughs> I don't have anything else to add to Alistair Crowley. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's... It's one of those things where um, if the the 60s counterculture movement had not happened, he would certainly be not nearly as well-known today. And at the same time, without uh, his involvement, all kinds of, like, Wicca might exist, might not really. Because, uh, like... Right. right. That is the trick, right? Is that he did believe himself to be so important and did produce so much stuff that untangling... What is his messed up understanding of a thing versus the actual legitimate roots of something is really difficult. Yeah. Well, and things like like Wicca also have multiple different influences, not just Aleister Crowley. This week, we talked about Cagliostro. Finally, he's been on my list for uh, seven, eight years at least. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, It's interesting because one of the reasons that I kept running headlong into this topic and then backing away from it for so long is that it's really hard to determine which tone you want to take when you tell his story. Uh-huh. Because if you if you watch, I mean, even people who are very much scholars and historians talk about it, some of them will approach it much more from kind of the sensational stories of him where he claims to be, you know, uh, potentially popping around time to witness various events or, you know, any of those. So I, I kept finding myself going, should this be more sensational? Should this be more thrilling? Um, but uh, I think the for me, the best way to really look at him was to kind of 
peel it all back. And like I said, there are details that we couldn't even fit in there because there's yeah. a lot. Um, I love that Catherine the Great hated him. I just loved it. <laughs> Uh, I had similar uh, a similar experience, I think, when trying to work on Aleister Crowley about, uh, like, what tone do we take with this? And I also liked that uh, Marie, Char- Marie Antoinette thought he was a charlatan. Not Aleister Crowley, Cagliostro. Although probably those two. I, I do love that two women uh, of immense power were like, Mm, yeah. No. <laughs> Not sure about that. Uh, you could skedaddle. I had also uh, discovered, I did not mention in this episode because it would just be a list of longness. Um, in addition to the Dumas work about him, Kelly Oster shows up everywhere. He shows up on TV and various things. There's even an anime that called Count uh, Castle of Cagliostro that's a Lupin the Third. if anybody follows that. And he's... Uh, it's it's not exactly him, but it's, you know, there's clearly, there have been a lot of characters based on Cagliostro over the years. And so to pluck all those apart just becomes a list-making exercise. So I didn't bother to do that. But if you do an internet search, you're going to find plenty. One of the things I was struck by in doing this research was how we have certainly, all of us, talked about, I mean, uh, as a society, not just on this show, you know, that that lure of a group saying, I will offer you everything you've ever wanted and how powerful that can be to get people to really buy in to to your ideology. And in his case, right, he was offering them everything, like eternal life and health, spiritual life and health, and tons of money. Right. (laughs) We're going to get the alchemy machine going and we're just going to churn out golden diamonds for everybody. Like, it just, I can see where desperate people would completely glom onto it, even as I sit there and go, oh, why, why did you believe in him? We both mentioned that we wanted to talk about what I'm calling, but don't believe to be, Lorenza's betrayal. Yeah, I just... I'm like, he coerced her into sex work. Yeah. For all that time. And generally was doing a bunch of crime. And I'm like, your wife testified against you. You get what you get. (laughs) Yes. Well, and my thing too, that is another thing that is um, characterized a little bit differently by different people. Um, I did watch one lecture where the, the lecturer was saying that, you know, at that point he probably had syphilis that had advanced to the point that it was affecting his behavior um, and that he had grown unpredictable and, like, she kind of did it to get out of that. And I'm like, she had a lifetime of that. Even if he was in his alleged right mind before that, she had a lifetime of madness to live through. Like, I wouldn't... That's, again, my take on it, obviously. But, yeah, I, I literally, you know, when I read some early kind of quick... The quick biographies that don't go into the fact that he was trafficking her around Europe to gain favor and, you know, job postings and whatnot. And they very much are kind of like, oh, and then his wife turned him in. And I'm like, did you not talk about the sex coercion (laughs) because you're too dainty or is it just too uncomfortable and thus you're not considering it in the denouement of the story? Or do you not really know about that? Or do you not think it's horrible? Yeah. Yeah. Fourteen. Right. Yes. I I know age meant different things at different points in time, but that is still very, very young. Yeah. And 
I would say also still today, like, I can only speak about, like, the criminal justice in the United States. I don't live anywhere else. But I know that here in the U.S., the idea that someone having been trafficked and abused uh, and then eventually enacting some kind of violence on their trafficker and abuser, like, that continues to be something that that comes up in court um, with with people not wanting that evidence to be admitted, even though, like, it's a critical context to all of that. Right. So, right. Uh, I, I feel like this is sort of a variation on that same theme from centuries ago. Yeah, I mean, it really is. It's like he's the blueprint for every power-hungry weasel who just treated people like property. Right. Uh, and didn't seem to have any conscience about it, which is very... But what's really weird is even in... And again, some of this is because they were written a 100 years ago, but even in the texts where they're pretty frank about what was going on and they do kind of condemn it, there are still like, but he really, really loved her. And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> Uh, even if that's true, boy, do I not care. <laughs> well, and it becomes a bigger, right, theoretical question of, like, what does love mean? And, you know, everyone's definition may be different. But mine is, you know, treating someone with respect. And when they don't want to do something, you don't coerce them into doing it. Right. That seems like a pretty basic rule to have for someone you love. And she clearly, there were lots of instances where he was like, no, you have to do this. You have to do this. It's the only way we're going to get out of this situation. Or it's the only way we're going to get any money. Or, like, he put all of the onus on her. Right. When she was legitimately, again, remember, raised very, very um, conservative religious. She was legitimately concerned for her immortal soul. And he was like, no, no, do it. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. It's like, that's just cruel. So that is not love in my book. Anyway, I have feelings about Cagliostro's uh, <laughs> wife, and I hope someone writes a marvelous play or film about her and her alone from her perspective. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I will buy all the tickets. I'm sorry, that was a n- not the funnest. <laughs> but I will say this. My favorite phrase that we came across was in that quote describing his, his seance and just the phrase lustral waters. I want to, I don't know what I'm, I want to make a cocktail named that. I don't know, but I'm doing something and it's going to be sparkly. So cool. Uh, that's, that's my upbeat ending to this discussion. Happy Friday. I uh, hope everybody has a good weekend, whatever is on your plate. Feel free to drop us a note. We're at History Podcast at iHeartRadio.com and we'll see you soon with more episodes. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.